blessing God. The God of creation. The God of life. The God who loves to shower upon his children his favor, his blessing. The God who loves to comfort us when we are hurting. The God who calls us to a certain kind of life. A kind of life that finds its home inside us. And once established as the home of our hearts and minds, then becomes the guiding force of our actions toward others. What a privilege it is for us to be bearers of the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you and we bless your name. We are aware, God, of many this day who are not living in the blessed reality of fellowship with you, of right relationship with you, who feel beyond your love and beyond your care, who feel vulnerable to the powers of this world, and at times even fearful that nothing good is going to come out of the world in which we live. Send us to them, Lord, as only out of your providential heart and mind you can do. Give us opportunity to be a blessing to others in order that they might understand how much you desire to bless them. We thank you now, Lord, for your presence here today, for your presence in Cambodia and across and around this world as communities of faith gather all across the spectrums of worldly time, all aware of the God's timing in the events that are going on as they minister and seek your presence. Let our days be filled with your timing. And let our hearts be tuned to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Powerful words that we see on plaques and pictures and decorations in people's homes, the Beatitudes. Beloved scriptures that um, are strengthening for us all. If we were to write a, a series of Beatitudes that go along with the nation in which we live or go along with the world in which we often live as well in a broader sense, <clears throat> we might be able to more clearly hear the Beatitudes written for the people of God. Hear this strange rendition of the Beatitudes that might be written if they were written today by people not followers of our Creator, because I believe if we listen to them, we might get, from a negative standpoint, 
what God is declaring through Jesus as he taught that day from the mountainside. Blessed are the rich in things and in self-assurance. Blessed are those untouched by loss. Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are those who are realistic about righteousness, compromising at every turn. Blessed are those who demand and exact an eye for an eye. Blessed are the crafty and opportunistic. Blessed are those bold enough to make war. Blessed are those who, doing good things, receive many accolades. Blessed are those who, following Jesus, are widely praised and adored. And we just put that kind of expression of the Beatitudes alongside what Jesus spoke on the mount. You get a sense of the upside-down nature of what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring us a vision of reality that was much different oftentimes than we think about in our world. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm not saying that God takes delight in our poverty or that God takes delight in our being downtrodden or run over by others who are stronger than we are or more powerful than we are. These expressions of the Beatitudes are not meant as being a goodness in themselves, but rather I like to think of them as my Christian warranty. You know, sometimes warranties are very good things, aren't they? You know, you go to the store and they sell them to you, uh, and sometimes you never use them, and you just know they're in that drawer over there somewhere where you stack all that stuff, right? And then sometimes something happens to something that's important to you, and it was the one thing you didn't take a warranty out on, and you go, bummer, bummer, you know, because a warranty... You know, a warranty is something that kind of guarantees our happiness for the future in regard to whatever it is that's warranted, right? Something that has a warranty on it, it, uh, it just makes us feel peaceful and content. But is that really the source of what these passages are talking about? Or are these maybe more like commands that we're to follow if we want to be blessed? They're often used in that kind of way for many people. But the expression of the Greek language in this text does not make them commands at all. They are not written in the kind of sense, uh, uh, imperative sense like commands are. But rather the verb tenses are indicative in nature. Meaning they are describing what already is and in, in, in reality but they're not something that you do as a moral imperative to get into heaven or to guarantee that God's going to bless you. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He was rather talking about a kind of living in life that, in, that is pertinent to kingdom living, to the kingdom of heaven. He was talking about what the kingdom of heaven should look like on earth by those who have been touched by God. He's talking about a reality, if you will. I call it a spiritual uh, guarantee. I like it that way. Now, I didn't see that written anywhere, so that's mine. It might be a little dangerous. Uh, I know how guarantees uh, affect people when they're guaranteed something in Scripture because we would love spiritual guarantees. There are a number of pastors on TV who make a lot of spiritual guarantees. If you send it and I bless it, you'll get wealthy. Have you ever heard of them? They're everywhere on several channels. They make bold, broad claims, general claims, 
about practical physical things in this world that I do not think are of first concern to Jesus. I'm not saying they're of no concern to Jesus, but they're not of first concern. In fact, if you remember carefully in your scripture as you read along, you hear Jesus saying things, seek ye first my kingdom, and all these other things will be added unto you. But there's a priority there. He elevates the seeking of God above that of getting the stuff of this world that we like and even that we need. And exactly from his lips, the cure for the anxieties of this world is seeking first the kingdom of God. This spiritual guarantee is real, however. Listen to it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I'm glad Matthew put that spirit in there. Commentators have gone pretty wild with this and in recent years, and they, they show God standing with those who are in poverty, and I do believe God stands with those who are in poverty, but I think they've kind of skewed the meaning of this text because it says clearly, blessed are the poor in spirit. Actually, the reason they're blessed, and theirs is the kingdom of God, because they realize, sometimes out of the poverty of human resources, their need for God. And when we are poor in spirit, we recognize that we cannot save ourselves. We recognize that we can't do one thing to make us better in God's sight. We begin to believe our need for God is real. When we go into that prison in two and a half weeks, three weeks now, I'm very, so very aware of people who are imprisoned by bars because of actions that they have done in their past. I'm so aware in a kind of heavy way that because of our penal system that even though they find Christ and Christ should set them free from that, from that guilt of the past and from what they did in the past, that they still will remain behind bars when we leave. And that causes me a kind of heaviness. I wish somehow that there was some way. I like thermometers, you know, happy thermometers that you can just stick in somebody's ear and find out if they're happy, right? Or heart monitors that you can just lay on somebody's chest and it would thump, thump, pure in heart or not so pure, you know? Or if I had people who came, a thermometer that they carried in their pocket and it flashed out, watch out for this guy. He's not telling the truth. But Jesus didn't see fit to give us a spiritual thermometer kind of world, so we have to work from other angles. But the reality is, in life, we're not just imprisoned by bars. Some people are very free in the sense of bars, but they are still very imprisoned by many things as they walk around in this world. Food imprisons us. Drink imprisons us. Sexual cravings imprison us. Money imprisons us. Popularity imprisons us, both when we're young and when we're older. There are many prisons in our world, and they're not all made of bars. But according to this passage of Scripture, when we become poor in spirit, we inherit the kingdom of God, and that's a blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, in Luke's version where it just says, blessed are the poor, you might be wanting to shout out, who feels blessed when they're poor? Those who are poor in spirit, that's who. 
because they realize that the things of this earth are not, they are not eternal things. They are temporary things. Blessed are those who mourn. Really? Remember, these are not good just in and of themselves. Who wants to be mourning? Nobody enjoys mourning. And yet, it is when we are mourned that we are comforted by God. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted by God. That's how God blesses us, in the midst of our pain and our hurt. And I'm not just talking about mourning for the loss of loved ones. Sometimes we're mourning the loss of a physical reality. I'm still mourning my eyeball, but it won't behave. I keep thinking somebody will come by and say, if you just pluck that thing out and then put it back in, it'll work. You know, kind of like rebooting your phone. But nobody said that yet. We do mourn the, the loss of our physical capabilities and sometimes our mental capabilities as well as we get older. But there are larger things we mourn too, right? We should be mourning, and hopefully we are mourning the condition of our world. Jesus looked upon the lost city of Jerusalem and began to weep. He looked out over the city and cried out, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I would have taken you under my wings, but you would we must get to the place in our lives where we are mourning those who are lost because they will not come under the wings of Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, not just for the loss of loved ones, but because of the lostness of the people around them. The church of Jesus Christ in the year of our Lord 2017 needs to mourn more. We need to be hurting and crying out as in grief over those who have strayed from our Lord and from his presence and from his guidance. We need to feel a sadness in our mourning so that we might then be comforted by God who can then send us out to work in his harvest. Blessed are the merciful, the meek rather, for they will inherit the earth. In what world does that happen? Do the meek inherit the earth in which we're a part? Do the meek people usually run your companies where you work? No. Do the meek people run the companies of the world, the countries of the world? Not often, right? We don't really prize meekness enough. It's easy for me to talk about meekness with Chiv over in Cambodia because he's just one of the meekest persons I've met, strong but gentle, strong but not asserting his will, strong but not having to have everything for him. He's a very meek person and a constant reminder to, uh, to me of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness, for you will be filled. That's a blessing God is ready to give us constantly. Blessed are the merciful, we receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers because they're called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for belief in Jesus. Blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted and people say evil against you on account of Jesus. Then, then, my brothers and sisters, we will rejoice because so they persecuted the prophets and Jesus before us. 
And I don't know about you, but the last time I was reviled and persecuted, I wasn't rejoicing. But it usually is not connected to my love of Jesus when I'm reviled and persecuted either. Sometimes it does relate to Jesus, rarely in this world in which we live, but not so around the world where people are often reviled and persecuted for bearing the name of Christian in the description of their lives. When you look at these ideas, you see that being blessed and being happy are really two different things. Blessing, the word in the Greek is makarios. Makarios is talking about God's favor toward certain types of people. That's the kind of people that God blesses, and they are people of his kingdom, people of the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we talk about blessings and being happiness, we need to keep them separate in our minds. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God never blesses us in physical ways. But in our nation, we speak in these days and ages about uh, asking God for blessings like provision, for like health, for prosperity, for the ability to accumulate enough to take care of us when we get old. We talk about power, and we certainly talk about the, the blessing or the happiness of freedom. And we find ourselves often asking God to bless us in those ways. And I think God does bless us in those ways in particular times and moments, but it is not generally true to say that becoming Christian automatically ensures for yourself the blessings of this earth, does it? You could be living in South America in a poor village in the mountains where they scratch and scramble for a living. You could be living in a nation in Africa where loss of life is constant and consistent. You could be a Christian living in the Far East in a, in a country where you're persecuted. You could be living in a, any number of places where no, regardless of how much you love Jesus, the things that we are often God to bless us with would not be available for God to give you. And we sometimes forget that living over here in this part of the world in which we live. But blessings, blessings that are spiritual guarantees are these that are listed here today at least. That you're blessed when you're searching for God because you know you need God. You're poor in spirit. You are guaranteed to be blessed. People oftentimes come and say things to me, people who are not believers, that, well, I've wanted to follow God, but, you know, I pray and nothing happens. I search for God in the scriptures and I don't understand and nothing happens. And they feel like that they really have not been able to make contact with God. And I, it's really hard to talk to them about that without hurting their feelings. Because sometimes they're trying to reach out and receive God on an intellectual basis or out of a physical need in their life. They're not reaching out to God because they understand their spiritual poverty. It's only when your heart knows that without Jesus, you're lost and nothing matters. It's from that place that God comes to you and answers every call. That's a guarantee. I've never met anyone that was open-heartedly searching for Jesus, ready to give themselves completely to Jesus, that Jesus didn't show up and meet their need. A lot of these beatitudes are that way. Who wants to hunger and thirst for anything, right? But when it's pointed toward righteousness, when we really desire to follow Christ, 
when really that's our heart and our mind's intent, then we are able to be filled, and we will be filled. I remember those days when searching the Word and looking for Jesus was so important to me. And it continues to be important to me to this day, but not to that extent that drove me for a thirst and a hunger to know where, what God was wanting for me in my life. I've rarely prayed, God, God, make me meeker. Make me more meek. I, it's not an inherited trait for me. It's not something that I see in my life that has often been rewarded, and yet I know that it is the meek the gentle people who will inherit the kingdom of the earth. I know that it is the merciful who receive mercy. I believe it's a guarantee that those who have a pure heart, they'll see God. And I believe that being peacemakers is more important than being the world's policeman. Although sometimes it's required for us to police the world in order to be a peacemaker. I do believe that persecution, while very unpleasant and hard to take, is to be expected if you're living the Christian life in some degree. It's mild in our world compared to what it is in many places in our country, but still there are those who persecute you today. And the more you try to be blessed, the more you live closer to Jesus, the more you will be persecuted. Many Christians are not being very persecuted because they never speak out for Christ. You say, what do you mean? I mean, the next time you're at work and your supervisor or your boss, if you have one of those kind of creatures, is giving a hard time to somebody unfairly, that you, as a peacemaker, might walk up to the boss after the other employee is gone and say, you know, what you really did was not Christian. Then you'll experience persecution. Then you'll experience what it's like to cross over from the line of the world into the realm of the kingdom of God. Because you see, the kingdom of God is all about the reign of God. And when God's reign is foremost in our hearts and minds, and God's reign is foremost and in the most important thing we do day by day, then we will act upon that and it will bring us a certain amount of persecution. Because you see, uh, most of the world doesn't appreciate the things of Jesus. They sound strange to our ears because they're not the ways of the world in which we live. And you say, well, how in what sense are we blessed? Well, let me just tell you the difference between happy, I call them happy blessings. And some people, God help them, have interpreted the Beatitudes to be read this way. Happy are you when such and such happens. A terrible translation. Very popular in recent years. I try to ignore every sermon idea that begins with that thought. Happy are you? Happy? I'm happy when I go to the dentist and I don't have a cavity. I'm happy every morning when I get up, and that's a blessing. You see there's a difference. Happy is happy. Being blessed is something entirely different. Happiness is earthly bound. It has to do with our experience of everyday life. And it's important. I'm not saying being happy is not important. I'm not saying that it's not important to have a, make a good living. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that the blessings of God are certain 
whereas circumstantial happiness built on the things of this world is not. Some Christians receive them, some Christians don't. I know some very good Christians who have not had much to do in life that would lift them up as be a leader or a great economist or anything else. They've lived very simply and very plainly, and yet they've been some of the most blessed people I've ever known. So when we pray, we should be praying about being blessed by God. And we should believe that God will add to us, in general, things of this world, but not specifically. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying, don't necessarily pray for a certain kind of car. (laughs) Pray for wheels that will get you to work. But don't be praying for a $130,000 car. It's a waste of God's time and, quite frankly, a waste of yours. And yes, I know what some other pastors have said. They're wrong. They're wrong because of Scripture. God is not about making us wealthy. Now, some people obtain wealth by being very faithful. But they weren't doing one to get the other. There's a difference. There's a huge difference in that. In the present, we can know that we'll be blessed. And even that is dependent upon this passage, taking a particular perspective of the world. It's really talking about about the things of the other world when Jesus returns. That's where the guarantee is sure. Because sometimes the pure in heart don't get everything they deserve in this world, but they will in the world to come. Sometimes we get some of it here and some of it there. One of the things that was suggested in some of the books I was reading is that a pastor might explain what they call the blessed life. And I thought, well, that's kind of dangerous, having just read what you've read. But I think it is important for pastors and for Christians to give witness and voice to the ways that God has blessed them in their life. I know what it means to be poor in spirit. I know what it means to finally come to the place where I know I can never go forward unless I accepted God on God's terms. That there is nothing I could do to save myself. I know what it means to mourn. I know what it means to mourn for the loss of loved ones. That's something that unfortunately we all share in common. We know that. But I also know what it means to be comforted. And over the years, God has brought me great comfort in the area of mourning. Knowing that when someone passes from this world into the next, if they belong to God, my mourning may be deep and it may be painful, but it's commingled with the joy of knowing where they are and to whom they belong. It has made it easier for me to love so many different people in so many places and have to say goodbye to them on this earth. But I also know what it means to mourn for the reality. I mourn for the church today. I mourn for this United Methodist Church that's spread around the world. I mourn for the church that is so looked upon so poorly by by many in the world, especially in these United States. I mourn for our lack of position in people's lives, and I mourn for our lack of impotence in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of this world. And more specifically, I mourn the unwillingness of the American Christian in general to be willing to save the lost. 
to be willing to go to them where they are, to be willing to lay aside their wealth or to use their wealth to reach those who are starving for Jesus in this world. It hurts me to see it in the churches scattered around that there's so little emphasis on reaching the lost, and I mourn it. The meek who's going to inherit the earth, I have to smile. I can't imagine what it's going to be like for all those who curse the name of Jesus when Jesus decides to show up again on this earth. (laughs) It's going to be wild. And the meek one will become the mighty warrior. And those who have been meek on earth and been trampled on earth will be his, his army. And they will inherit this world. I've experienced being filled. And every time I hunger and thirst for righteousness, I find God filling me up. Replacing what seems lost in a moment of weakness or a moment of distraction with his own very presence. It's become very easy for me to be merciful and sometimes not easy for me to be unmerciful. Because as I've grown older, I've learned over and over again that I receive mercy to the extent that I'm merciful to others. And God is always ready to give me mercy, then I should always be ready to be merciful to others. That can be a real negative if you're negotiating a business. (laughs) Because there are people out there who will just take advantage of you because you're being merciful, right? And yet, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You can go on and on with that list. And over and over I get the sense that every time I'm a peacemaker, I feel like God's child. Every time that I try to purify my life to yet another degree, if you will, of getting closer to God. Every time in my life, I've seen God at work in my life. Now, I don't always see God in my present circumstances or in in what's surrounded me, but I know in the end that I will see him face to face. Whenever the church is persecuted, as we are being now in a very intellectual kind of way, then we know that we belong to the kingdom of heaven. We should not be taken aback by persecution, but should rather turn around and stand against it in the name of Jesus. Because you see, we belong to the kingdom, the place where God rules. No president, no Congress, no nation, no worldly power can take that from us. The kingdom of God kingdom of heaven is real and its benefits its blessings are for those who are members of that kingdom now such people I think in general who seek first the things of God will relative to the circumstances of the part of the world in which they live be blessed And in our nation, that can look a lot like prosperity theology. I don't think it's intended to be prosperity theology. I think God intends to feed the sick and the hungry everywhere. I think that God intends to seek out those who are lost everywhere. I think he intends to do it through those people who are living under the rule of Christ in their life. 
But as I have experienced, I have come to learn that I, I don't live a life as a peacemaker so that God will bless me. I lead the life of a peacemaker because that's where God blesses me. And I've experienced it over and over. Doing something to get something is a dead-end ethical kind of arrangement between human beings and God. And it's just not the way God does this thing. Because God knows when we're trying to barter God. I don't know why it was, but early on in my ministry, I guess because you're a poor young preacher, and back in then they still wore suits everywhere preachers went, right? And when you were poor, and you're serving that church for eight or $10,000 a year while you were going to school, suits were kind of a rare commodity. So in different places, there was oftentimes somebody would say, I want to buy you a suit. And, uh, you know, hey, that was, a, that, that was a big deal because I wasn't going to buy my own. So you went and you got the suit. I don't know how many times, but many times I heard something that someone say after, not really meaning to be negative, not really meaning to be lacking biblical wisdom, but that might laugh and smile once you put the suit on you. Thank them for it. They say, oh, just enjoy that suit. You know, put in a good word for me when you get there. You know, maybe I'll get a little, I'm gonna get a little credit for buying you the suit. And I almost want to take the suit off and give it back to them. Now I didn't. And when I was young, and that was happening more often, that was once your job got to be a living area, living wage kind of thing. I couldn't have that experience. But if I had that experience again today, I'd have to say, you know, you really can't buy anything by being good in God's kingdom. You only accept by being poor in spirit when you get blessed by God. It's only when you're seeking God that you get to God. This old moralistic, I almost used the C word from my daddy that I inherited, but I didn't. I stopped short. I'm kind of proud of myself. But so much of American Protestantism has become this moralistic thing. And I just, I just need to say this. While I think morality is important, and I think following God's ways is important, it does, however many rules we keep, we'll break that many more. However holy you think you are, you're that much more in danger. That's why it's, that's why it's important, and even Paul says that that's, the, gr the greater he got, closer he got to Christ, the more sinful he was aware he was becoming. There's just no end to this purification thing because we're human. doesn't mean we shouldn't try, but it just means we need in this country to, to lay aside some of the moral overload for people who think differently than we do. We need to lay it aside because we need to be able to reach their hearts with love and with acceptance in order to get them where they need to be. We get it backwards a little bit. And our desire to bless them, we think we need to correct them completely. We need them to at least keep the Big Ten, you know, that Big Ten. The Big Ten in your mind. Not necessarily the Big Ten commandments in the Bible, but the Big Ten things that you know every Christian needs to do, right? For my wife, she would probably start out with, they need to love God with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. Then she might say, and they need to lose 50 pounds. That's on her Big Ten list because it's hard for her to get past that. There are those who 
who believe that that Big Ten list means they should never touch alcohol. There are those who believe they should be sexually pure. And being pure means living by the same ethical codes that we think the scriptures teach us, even if we can't quote a scripture about it, or even if we're not sexually pure ourselves. Anyone, any man who looks upon a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery. We live in a challenging world. As the world has grown up, it's very much more difficult, I should say, to to clearly state in the one, two, three things that Christians need to do. But we do know this. We know that they need to be forgiving, gentle, merciful people who are pure in heart, people who want to seek God. However they are, whatever condition they're in, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. All that matters is they want to be blessed by God and to walk with God. It's the same for us. 